The beginning verse in Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What I would do if I were you is I would go through the book of Genesis chapter 1 and I would circle every reference to God. And what I would do then is I would underline the verb that follows the name of God. For instance, in chapter 1, in the beginning, I circled God and then underlined created. In verse 3, God said. Verse 4, God saw. Verse 4, God divided. Verse 5, God called. Sometimes we need to take a passage of scripture and just see how much God is centered in that passage of scripture on what he does. And so when you go through the book of Genesis chapter 1 and you circle all the references to God and all the things that he did, there are going to be over probably a couple of dozen references to his creation, his making things, him speaking things into existence. And it'll be interesting for you to probably do something that I think we all ought to do, and that is to ask yourself the question, when God said he created the heavens and the earth, did he do it as a first cause? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Or did he do it as a second cause? You know what I'm saying? In other words, he said to mankind, let's create man in our image, and we're going to give him dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, And then the second cause is that he created man and then he expects man under his power and his direction and his guidance to fill the earth. So that would be an interesting thing. But let your imagination run with this. You and I have seen enough special effects Uh, that uh, we've developed over the years, which is nothing compared to the special effects that God is able to do. I mean, imagine him creating this universe. We couldn't possibly recreate those kind of special effects. But, But think about every word and think about the fact that God is directly involved in bringing this earth to its place where we can enjoy it we live here one day he's going to restore it back to its original pristine condition so get an idea of what that must have been like and how much fun it must have been as short as it was to be a part of an earth that wasn't cursed just do all of that in your personal bible study and then you'll need to come to a conclusion And the conclusion that you're going to need to come to is that in the beginning, God is the one who did all of this. And Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, not only begins with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which means he created the universe, but he also ends with a summary in chapter 2, verse 4, 
And you might want to look at that where the Bible says this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And he gives some additional details which are kind of fun to look over and think through carefully. And I'm of the opinion, I'm of the opinion that if we would just spend more time thinking about scripture, all of those who want to object to what is written here, if you're an evolutionist and you don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth, you're going to come up with all kinds of objections and reasons why Genesis 1 can't be true. You're going to look at the order of events and you're going to say to yourself, well, it couldn't have happened because God created light before he created the sun. Does that bother you? Does it bother you that he created light and then created the containers for light? Does it bother you that he created the earth and the sea as a container then for the fish? Days later, does it bother you that he created the land and then put animals on the land? You see, you and I, years ago, let me just say this to you. Years ago, I would have been thrown for a loop if you would have been an evolutionist and you'd have come up to me and you'd have said, Noah's flood? Well, that couldn't have happened. There's no such thing as a, as a worldwide flood. And you know that there's more confirmation for that now than there's ever been in science. And, uh, and if you'd have said to me something as simple as, now, how could, how could all of those freshwater fish survive in a salty ocean? Oh, you'd have thrown me for a loop. I would have, I would have said, oh, boy, I, I don't know. I'd have gone home and I said, Lord, why did you put me in such a quandary about this? Why couldn't you have given us more information in your word to indicate how that would have been possible? You see, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You and I don't look at this the way we should. We don't look at what God does miraculously through natural eyes. Do we? Is it at all impossible for God to have freshwater streams going through the ocean if he wanted to do it that way or having uh, or, 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 or adjusting the ability of freshwater fish to live in salt water is it does he have any problem doing that kind of stuff our problem is that we kind of we kind of hear what the naturalist says and we try to get we get, get sucked into their naturalist explanations when in reality we should say, no, listen, God, God did it, and he did it supernaturally, and I don't need any naturalistic explanations in order to figure it out. Uh, Darwin must have been, and let me just say this to you, um, I'm always skeptical when I hear of someone who is a staunch unbeliever who comes to the faith. But you have heard story after story of Darwin's last days and last hours, probably. And uh, there, is a, there is a testimony that uh, indicates the possibility that Charles Darwin returned to the faith of his fathers. You know, his parents had high hopes for him. He grew up in a, 
in a Christian environment, and they were hoping he would be a theologian, I guess it was. And he turned out being a scientist, and, and Lady Hope visited him one afternoon in England, and he was almost bedridden for some months before he died. And he was sitting up in his bed, and he was holding an open Bible. Now, I can't confirm the truth of this, but this is not just a strange story that comes to us without some reliability. There's, there's some truth to this. And sitting up, he was holding a Bible, and Lady Hope says, what are you reading? And uh, Charles Darwin said, I'm reading the royal book. That's what I call it. Isn't it grand? And um, Lady Hope then mentioned about creation and the early chapters of Genesis, and Darwin seemed greatly distressed when he heard her mention those things. And he had a look of agony on his face when she addressed creation. And here is what is reputed that he said. I was a young man with unformed ideas. I threw my queries, suggestions, wandering all the time over everything. And to my astonishment, the ideas took like wildfire. People made a religion out of them. And then he added, I have a summer house in the garden. I want you to speak to the people here tomorrow afternoon. What do you want me to speak about, said Lady Hope. I want you to speak about Jesus Christ, he replied. He did it very emphatically, and then he added in much lower tone, according to the record, and I want you to speak about his salvation. Is not that the best theme? And then I want you to sing some hymns with them, he added. And in his farewell, he said, if you take the meeting at 3 o'clock, this window will be open, and you will know that I am joining in the singing. Now, whether or not it happened that way, I don't know for sure. But it could have. And we have indications of, of situations like this. And Charles Darwin, it's often questioned, Charles Darwin's often mentioned that Charles Darwin really, really, really regretted what he had done in giving to us the origin of the species. And uh, you've got to remember something, and it's very, very important. Charles Darwin, in his book, The Origin of the Species, my brother used to type this up for me and write it out and give me the exact quote so that I could share it with the congregation so that I would actually see word for word what Charles Darwin write. But I like paraphrasing it. And I merely want to say this to you. Charles Darwin says, listen, I think my theory is right. But there's always the possibility it's not right. And if it's not right then you need to scrap it. You need to get rid of it. He said, now as far as transitional forms are concerned, we don't have such things as traditional, uh, of transitional forms. You know what those are. Those are all the animals between all the fossils. We don't have any, we don't have any uh, record of a progression between animals that we find in the fossils and all of the stages they should have gone to to get to another animal. We don't have that. And Charles Darwin used that specifically, and he said, listen, I believe that we're going to find transitional forms down the road, 
But if we don't, get rid of the theory. Get rid of the theory, because it will not be right. Now, let's move on. Let's move on. I've, I've shared a lot and haven't gotten into the scripture, so I'm going to have to move pretty fast here. But I want to give you one point right off the bat, and that is this. Scripture tells us that the one true God, the one true God, indivisible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created the universe. You know that sometimes it's a reference to God without giving us any indication as whether the Father was involved, the Son is involved, or the Holy Spirit was involved. But you and I know that the Holy Spirit was involved because in chapter 1 of Genesis it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And what does it say next? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. For your information, I listed lots of passages of Scripture here to prove that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together created the universe. I will not share any of those with you, except to remind you that in John chapter 1, as well as other books of the Bible, the Bible tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and nothing was created without Him. Amen. Second point that I want to make, I want you to go down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image and in our likeness. Do you see that there? God said to uh, Adam, God said to who he is speaking with, let us make man in our image. Now, I want to say something to you about this passage of scripture because we are not polytheistic. We don't believe in many gods. We don't believe that this world has many gods out there and they all have their own ideas about things and they all fight about what they want done like Greek mythology does and Roman mythology. Um, we believe that there's only one indivisible God as we know him as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, three persons, but one God. It's important that you and I understand that this one God is of one essence and one substance. But in verse 26, I cannot dismiss this and make excuses for what we often do when we say, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, I can't excuse it and say, well, well, I'll tell you what, that probably is just a reference to the fact that, that God is really mighty and he's, a, he's, uh, he's powerful and he's majestic. And, and so instead of just using a singular term, he's going to use a plural term to describe himself. Listen, you and I know better than that. You and I know that Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, then, let, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, what I love to do is I love to look at all the personal interactions in Scripture that deal with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're really exciting passages of Scripture. When I went to seminary, 
at Faith Theological Seminary. I was in homiletics class, my very first class probably, and uh, we were assigned passages of Scripture. I thought it was going to be, we were going to get to choose, pick and choose what we wanted to preach on, but no, the professor assigned us passages of Scripture with the logic behind it that you're not going to get a chance in when you go into the pulpit and preach to just preach your pet, your just your pet subjects. You got to preach everything from Genesis to Revelation. So Gary, we want you to do a sermon on Psalm 110. And so I looked at Psalm 110 in greater detail than I ever looked, and it's probably what passage of Scripture that gave me the most interest in isolating passages of Scripture where there is communication between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just going to bring this to your attention. In Psalm 110, very first stanza, the Bible says, The Lord, that is Yahweh or Jehovah, the Lord, because it's capital L, O, capital O, capital R, capital D, and there's small case capitals. And every time you see that word in the Bible, you know that's, a, that's God's personal name, Yahweh, or Jehovah. The Lord said to my Lord, David is writing this, and David said, the Lord said to my Lord, the Father is speaking to the Son, and he says to the Son, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Oh, go through the Old Testament sometime. Isolate all of those interactions between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have a fascinating Bible study. Fascinating Bible study. You say, wow, I just just never thought of that kind of communion and that kind of uh, discussion and that kind of uh, conversing between uh, the persons of of the Godhead. Well, why not? What happens in John 17? Jesus is in the, Jesus is praying, and he's praying to his heavenly Father, and there's a lots of interaction there, and that's not the only thing. I just want you to be aware of the fact that those passages of Scripture exist, and then, and then I want you to look at, um, at number three, my third point that I want to make here this morning. In Genesis chapter one, see the sermon says that we're talking about being made in the image of God. And I want you to see the context of all of this. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, those two words are interchangeable. A lot of times we like to say image means one thing and likeness means another. But if you'll trace that all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, you'll discover that sometimes those words are used interchangeably. So just believe them for what they say. God says to the the, the, the conversation between the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Father is, we want to make man in our image according to our likeness. That's repeated in chapter 5. It's repeated in chapter 9, just in the book of Genesis. So if you're reading through Genesis, you'll come across it. But what I want you to do is I want you to go to the New Testament and add two other passages of Scripture to that for just a second. And I will try to make my points as, as uh, clear as I can in the shortest amount of time. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us that, and I, I want you to note this, 
and think about the fact that we have been created in the image and likeness of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, 24, the Bible talks about what God intends to do to turn the old man or to get rid of the old man that is in us into the new man. The old man represents our life of sin, our indwelling sin. The new man represents our new life in Christ. And I love the way he does this. But he says in verse 23, be and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the process that God is going to use to get you and I to become a new man in Christ. And that you, when your mind is renewed, the process is going to be that you will put on the new man which was, create, which was created according to God in true, what? Righteousness and holiness. Now just hang on to that a second and go to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, in Colossians chapter uh, 3, rather, verses 9 and 10. In Colossians 3, 9 and 10, this is a Paul's twin epistle to the book of Ephesians. So a lot of this stuff has been read by all of the churches in the same area, both books together. And so we can put this information together. But look at verse 8 of chapter 3. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in what? Knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. By putting those twin epistles together, we see that when God created us, our original righteousness, it's a better term than the fact that we were innocent in Adam, but our original righteousness included these terms. We were originally righteous in knowledge in the image of God. We were originally righteous in righteousness. We were originally righteous in, we were originally in the image of God in holiness, those three things. We know that. Aside from that, we know that there are other ways that God created us in his image. But the fact of the matter is, and I just want to bring this to your attention so that you and I can keep this in mind. Uh, we lost, to some degree, the image of God. Not everything. We still have a rational mind, even though that's not clear for most people until we come to Christ. And there's some aspects of the image of God that we still have, but we lost our original righteousness in knowledge and in righteousness and true holiness. And here is Paul telling us how to regain it again. All right? Now, just keep that in mind for a second. I, I, I want to give you uh, one other point. Most of this can wait till next week uh, for the second part of this. But I do want to bring this to your attention. Then God said, everybody together, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Next one. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female he created him and then finally then God blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over every living thing that moves on the earth now I'm going to finish it off and I'm going to let you vote as to which one you want me to address do you want me to address the male and female part of this or the dominion part of this You'll not miss anything because next week we will uh, deal with the other one. Who wants to deal with the dominion part? Who wants to deal with the male and female part? All right. All right. We've been created in the image of God. He made us male and female. These are the natural things that we need to keep in mind that go along with being in the image of God. Being in the image of God. Now, I got a wonderful book called heaven written by randy alcorn and anytime i read the book of genesis where we lost paradise i like to think of paradise regained and so i like to read books about heaven while i'm reading about paradise that we lost and i want to read now close with this i want to read what randy alcorn says about male and female in heaven 287. Bear with me, it's not that long, but I, I want you to hear this. One book about heaven claims that there will be no male and female human beings. We shall all be children of God, and sex will be no part of our nature. The same book says, men will no longer be men, nor will women be women. Similarly, another book says of those in heaven, they have reached that condition in which sex distinctions are transcended or rather in which the qualities of both sexes are blended together and then Randy says some people try to prove now one reason why I, I like to read Randy Alcorn you know who he is right you all know who he was years and years ago on a lot of the abortion issues he was very vocal wrote a great book on que answers to questions about abortion pro-life but he taught hermeneutics. So I find, I find uh, almost every way that he approaches scripture to be right on target because he knows what good guidelines to follow when we try to understand scripture. And he says some people try to prove that there will be no gender in heaven by citing Paul's statement that in Christ there is neither male nor female in Galatians chapter 3.28. But, with perfect form, he says, Paul refers to something that's already true on earth. The equality of men and women in Christ. The issue isn't the obliteration of sexuality. You don't lose your gender at conversion. Was Jesus genderless after his resurrection? Of course not. No one mistook him for a woman. He referred, he was, he's referred to with male pronouns. We'll, and then here's the punchline, here's the end of it. We'll never be genderless because human bodies aren't genderless. The point of the resurrection is that we will have real human bodies essentially linked to our original ones. Gender is a God-created aspect of humanity and God links it to his very nature to a degree when he says a natural out
growth of the fact that I created man in our likeness, we created man in our likeness and in our image. Therefore, accept male and female. All right? Now, I got I to I gotta, I gotta stop right there. Uh, next week, we'll deal with the dominion part. I think you're going to find out that's going to be pretty interesting. And then also, uh, I want you to see how important, uh, well, well, we'll talk about that next week. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We're at the beginning where it all happens right from the start. And Lord, you've encouraged us already with the fact that we are created in your image and in your likeness. And we know that that means that we have a connection with you that the rest of your creation does not have. We have the ability of fellowship. We have the ability of being close and getting to know you in a way that none of your creation has. And so I pray in your precious name that you would just encourage us right here from the start in the very first book. Help us to be firm in our belief that you created this universe. Help us to be firm in our belief uh, that you are the one who cares more about us than even we care about ourselves. And your design is right and perfect. In Jesus, your most precious and holy name, as co-creator as well, we pray. Amen.